It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, 20 years after Babylon 5's debut. This intro cast is a dream-given form. Its goal? To introduce the show to new fans by creating a place where new viewers and old alike can discuss the show peacefully. It's a port of call, home away from home for geeks, nerds, podcasters, and wanderers. British and Americans, wrapped up in minutes of audio downloads, all alone on the web. It can be a silly place, but it's our last best hope for intelligent analysis. This is the story of the first of the Babylon 5 intro cast. The year is 2014. The name of the show is Down Below. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. Hi, man. I'm Heidi. I'm Elizabeth. Today we are joined by our returning guest host. Say hello to Jason. Welcome back, Jason. Yeah, glad to have you back, Jason. Good to be back on this very good episode. Uh, Can you guys hear me? Something. Yeah. Uh, Yes, we can hear you. Today we're here to discuss episode nine of season one, Death Walker. But first, here's an ISN report. This is an ISN report. Babylon 5 recently played host to an infamous visitor. Dilgar war leader Jadur, also known as Death Walker, arrived in the station on her way to Earth to complete work on a so-called immortality serum. When the League of Non-Aligned Worlds discovered her presence, they demanded that she stand trial for atrocities committed during the Dilgar invasion, but the Council voted to allow her to remain free. However, when Jadur departed the station for Earth, the Vorlons destroyed her ship, claiming we are not ready for immortality. This has been an ISN report. This episode aired on April 20th, 1994. It was directed by Bruce Seth Green, who also directed Born to the Purple and Mind War. It was written by Lawrence Dettilio, who wrote Born to the Purple. And I don't know if you remember in that episode, his brother was also in the episode. I wonder if his brother will be in this episode. Uh, his brother was like a just a background kind of guy, right? Yeah, he was the bit guy. When they went down to pretend to hire dancers, he was the bit guy who was going to throw him out of the bar. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, he is in this episode. I don't know who he is. He's just listed as alien number one or something like that. <laughs> so we have I was to go the through the episode. Yeah, he's in the Alien somewhere. number one, right there. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get started with the recap. So the episode begins with Kosh hiring Talia for her services, but he doesn't explain what the business is. He tells her that all clearances have been arranged and they'll meet during the hour of scampering. An hour, I want to know. (laughs) JMS says this sometime around tea time. Oh, yeah, I like that. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) Kosh was really chatty this week, wasn't he? Yes, he was. I've never heard him speak so much. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think it's an interesting combination having Kosh and Talia in the same scene. Uh, You know, that, yeah, it's until it happens in this episode, it's not a combination I was expecting. No. Well, we pretty much only got, like, uh, Kosh and Sinclair so far, mostly, so it's weird to see him with anyone else. It's weird to see him at all. He's only been in episode. <laughs> it was really great. I was, like, watching or listening to him, because the, the way they ha- 
the the sounds they make when he's speaking. It's like an echoey the thing. But also, it's it's almost like they're layering in like it's almost like background voices, like whispering or something like that. So I get the impression that they've also looped the dialogue backwards as well. So, oh, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, really there's weird. Se- they, yeah, there's definitely several different audio layers into his voice, but it the effect is really unique. And I guess okay. fans noticed that Kosh sounded a little different this time, and JMS just said that Kosh had a cold this week. <laughs> 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 so a Minbari vessel arrives. We see Natoth in the docking bay inquiring about the liner Callisto, she sees a woman arrive, starts saying Deathwalker, and attacks the woman until she gets restrained. And we see the woman lying there bloody. This woman that she's attacking is played by Sarah Douglas, who was Ursa in Superman 1 and 2. Oh. And she was also oh. on Falcon Crest. <laughs> I have not seen her in any of those things. <laughs> but yeah. I, this episode was off to a good start, though, because we had Kosh, and then we had Natoth. Back which... for a second episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she didn't again. die. Yeah, yeah exactly. kicking ass once again. Yes, exactly. Kicking ass too, so that's good. Yeah, I was like, go to top. She's a little more Kodoth-like in this episode, I think. A little more... Kind of yeah, rage. <laughs> she is. <Yeah>. Not <laughs> as Kodoth as Kodoth, but um, that's all right. <laughs> After that, we see the opening credits. I'm drinking a locally brewed beer today from the British Port Brewing Company. <laughs> Should be fun. Um... That's our sponsor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Send us money. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I, I've got um, ginger beer with amaretto. Nice. I don't have anything. <laughs> just water. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually drinking water or coffee, but I'm trying something different today. Sounds good. You see Sinclair and Garibaldi. They're on their way to question Natoth. According to the victim's ID, her name is Gaila Lobos, and she's a free trader who came from Minbari space and is on her way to Earth. Garibaldi says that Natasha just kept yelling Deathwalker, and both Sinclair and Garibaldi recognized that name. So, based on what we found out later, are we to believe that she was coming directly from the clan, the Minbari clan? Yeah, the Windsor. I think so. Okay. I think so, yeah, because yeah, she was dressed in Mimbari clothes, right? This is where we find that out, I think. Yeah, she she's apparently dressed in Mimbari and warrior gear, which fits with uh, the fact that uh, Warrior Cast has been um, sheltering her for all these years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wind swords, wasn't it? <laughs> she had her uniform. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Natath claims that she attacked Deathwalker because of Shankar, which is the blood oath. Uh, she tells a story about when the Dilgar conquered Hylak 7, her grandfather's family was there, and Deathwalker used them in her experiments. Her grandfather escaped, but not before a machine was implanted in his brain, and he was never the same after that. When he died, her family took the Shankar. Sinclair doesn't believe that this woman could be Deathwalker because that happened. the invasion happened 30 years ago, but Natoth doesn't agree. Jakar arrives, and Sinclair agrees to place... Natoth under house arrest until uh, pending the outcome of the investigation. Sorry, I've got something else saying stuff in my ears. I thought I'd shut that down. <laughs> so, um, who wants to see a sitcom with Jakar and Natoth living together? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah, awesome. when they said that she had to stay in his quarters, I was like, oh, this could be fun. Yeah. 
Yeah. I liked how Garibaldi was like, listen, sister. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the point. You know, Garibaldi has to guest star, you know. <laughs> okay, so I have a bit of a timeline thing that I would like you guys to help me work out. Um, so, uh, Natoth's grandfather was attacked 30 years ago. 30 and, years yeah. ago. Okay, and um, the Deathwalker was not with the Mimbari... Um, I can't remember what they're called. The sword something. The windsword. Windsword. Was At not time, with them yeah. yet? I don't think so. Not, I think she... Not, went... that point, no. Yeah. Okay. So, now I'm... I had a theory, depending on which uh, way that went, um, that the device that was implanted in uh, Natoth's grandfather's brain, um, maybe now the Minbari have those similar devices that uh, Deathwalker has shared with them. Mm. Well, she did yeah. say she shared certain services. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could. So, yes, the implanted device could be what's in Sinclair's head. Yeah, Lanier made it seem like they didn't uh, take those technologies, but how would he really know, you know? Mm-hmm. He only yeah. knows what Delenn would tell him, right? Or right. Yeah. And that's a good theory. I like it. But also, like, um, did Natoth made it seem almost like she, like, her Shankar made her viscerally be able to tell that this woman was the one she had the Shankar with? Like, it was some kind of... I don't know, metaphysical sensation that she felt? Or was she she just being, like, I don't know, poetic? Yeah, I think it's more of the uh, latter. It's more of a gut the, feeling. Uh, That's the impression I got. Also, um, her grandfather must have sh- shared some sort of record with her, and this is what the woman looks like. If you see her, she's mm-hmm. someone responsible. Next, we see Talia meeting with Kosh. A man named Abbott arrives to begin negotiations. Abbott is played by Kosi Costa. Abbott just got on my nerves. How did y'all feel about Abbott? I just thought he was a funny little guy. I mean, not funny, haha, but, you know, funny, strange. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't mind him. I mean... I didn't uh, love him. I but... didn't really have an opinion either way on him. He was just yeah. blah. No real did you, strong feeling. Did you enjoy the timeless VCR terminology? Yes. <laughs> data references. <laughs> I guess now it would be DVR, Diver. At least something. it wasn't beta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kosh asks Talia to scan Abbott, but she doesn't detect any thoughts. She said, uh, Kosh says that's excellent and they can now begin their business. At first I thought, well, maybe it still is. Like, he... I don't know, what did he say? Like, something level 23? What is that? Does anybody understand what he meant? Not sure. But, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it, it's What he was saying, it's, to me, was almost designed to put Tyler off guard, you know? So that, you know, anything that he says or is said to her isn't the response he's expecting. Okay. So he's able, uh, because of whatever he is, he's able to clear his mind completely, I guess. Maybe he just pulls the section out of his brain or something. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I'm not exactly sure how Vickers work. Yeah, because at first I thought maybe it was like he had been trained to clear his mind so that he couldn't be read by telepaths. But then afterwards I thought, oh, maybe that's just because of like his physiology. Like he, you know, because of what he is. Which I'm assuming he has to be born that way. Um, then he, he has that capability. Yeah, I mean, even at the end, I can't tell whether he's a human or he's an alien. 
because he looks fairly human, but then again, the top of his head's missing anyway, so, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And he can put, like, chips in it and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Maybe he's like kind of like a Psy, where he's human, but he has this capability that normal humans nowadays don't have, so, I don't know. Or maybe Doesn't wear part, weird hats, though. Yeah, maybe <laughs> part it. human and part cyborg or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Down in med lab, they can't match the woman's species type. She's healing at an accelerated rate. Sinclair informs the doctor that she's a Dilgar. They had just about everybody in this episode. I like that. Um, yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Although I'm actually kind of puzzled in this. The second time watching it back through again, um, why don't they know who the Dilgar was? You know, obviously it's a big was a big event 30 years ago. Yeah, just 30 years. And, you know, even if you weren't born 30 years ago, you still would have seen records of the Dilgar War, still would have seen visual records of what a Dilgar looks like. So Mm -hmm. you could have, you know, you don't need to scan it. And, oh, I don't know what, you know, species this is. That's what kind of threw me the second time. Yeah. 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 I guess because he just didn't think that they any of them existed anymore, so he probably just didn't even think about it. Like, yeah, probably didn't consider that as an option. And um, also, a little bit later on in the same scene, just assuming that um, this species ages at a particular rate, you know. Okay, maybe right. you learned it in medical school, but, you know, you can't just assume that every alien ages the same way. Yeah, or that they would take on the appearance the same as humans do. You know, that they would take on an appearance of aging, because maybe they don't. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like um, the Doctor in the most recent uh, Christmas special. You know, he's been around for such a long time, especially this incarnation was around for 300 years and did, or, or 400 years or something, didn't age a bit. And then in one episode, over a space of a couple of hundred years, he ages considerably both times. Mm-hmm. Well, Time Lords, Gallifreyans have a different physiology to humans. You know, that it might be that they look exactly the same until a certain age and then they age really quickly. Could be the same for Dilgar. Oh, my raggedy man. I miss him. Yeah. They ask Siri about, the, or they Google, <laughs> they Google Death Walker and find out that she is Shadur, the famous, infamous leader of the Dilgar invasion of the non-aligned sectors in 2230. Dr. Franklin looks and doesn't see any signs of cryogenic freezing, but Garibaldi has found a uniform and some kind of drug that the doctor wants to run tests on. Oh, she's undercover. I mean, at least don't put your name tag on your uniform. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put your uniform, uniform in your bag. I think that's part of her um, arrogance and pride, really. You know, it's <laughs> yes, I'm undercover, but I'm going to carry my uniform around with uh-huh. me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am. This door. bag I belongs to Deathwalker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please return to. <laughs> Ivanova calls and tells Sinclair that he has a gold channel communication from Senator Hidoshi. Before he leaves, he tells Garibaldi to post a security detail there and keep everything under wraps. Yeah, it never, it's never under wraps, yeah. is it? <laughs> In Jakar's quarters, Natath apologizes for bringing him shame, but 
Jakar says there's no shame. He has many Shankar himself, but <laughs> hers complicates things. Like, yeah, I know about Shankar. I got a ton of Shankar. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like this scene. I mean, I just like seeing them together. And it was also like weirdly dark and red um, the way it was lit. Yeah. It was like yeah. made it very claustrophobic. And, um, but I don't know. I just, I think they play well against each other or play off each other well. And, you know, I, yeah. I really hope she's in more episodes. I, I don't know if you... I mean, maybe it's just the way it's filmed, as you said, very claustrophobic. But it seems to me, Jakar's quarters are smaller than London's quarters or um, Sinclair's quarters. Yeah. Yeah, they do seem yeah. that way. I just think they're darker. They, you know, they don't have the lights on. He's got it covered in all these reds and dark browns. It just makes it seem smaller. Probably. Perhaps. I just love the way he says no. And she says yeah. she's, what she's going to do yeah. to Deathwalker. And he's like, no. <laughs> just love the way he says yeah. that. She, she's he just on the think... verge of pouting. Just on the verge. But of pouting, you know. Looking oh, at yeah. him. Uh, and stuff. But Narns would never go that far. You know, Narns never pout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, back to what Jason said, though. I, I just love the way he says most things. Like, he's he has a way of turning even just one word into just, you know, a very Jakarism. You know, he has a very good... <laughs> per- I like him. I mean, Londo has a good personality, too. Like, he's a very strong personality. But for some reason, I like Jakar a lot better. Um, just the way he says things. And I find him funnier because it's not overtly funny. But he just has a way of turning a phrase, which I like. Uh, so it turns out a Narn counselor was supposed to bargain with Jodor for some valuable, something valuable, but he can't do it now without drawing attention. So it's up to Jakar to negotiate. So he convinces her to delay her Shankar for the good of their people. Uh, Jakar scheming again. Yeah, I didn't quite understand. So, um, so the Death Walker obviously reached out to different worlds about this but she had a prior agreement with earth alliance that she was going to meet but she was also going to meet with the narns i didn't quite understand this whole thing Mm, i just think it's her trying to stir trouble you know um she's last of her cause she's trying to stir trouble between the different races because that way her legacy lives on Mm, so she wants everybody to have it basically yeah that way everyone's got to fight for it and you Mm -hmm. know kill one another for it yeah okay next we see Sinclair speaking to Hidoshi Senator Hidoshi is played by probably butchering this Aki Aliong he was in the original V series he wants Sinclair to send Deathwalker to Earth when she's fit to travel and he says the information on this matter is on a need to know basis and you don't need to know of course of course (laughs) it's Earth just interfering again just like uh, Esther. Yeah, my, my impression was that she was traveling to Earth secretly, and then the attack is what exposed her, and um, so now the other governments are trying to contact her as well. Yeah. But my impression was that she was on her way to Earth. Just but didn't um, Jakar say that a Narn person was supposed to meet her yeah. in the maybe, area. Yeah, maybe what the Narn was going to intercept her. Maybe oh. Narn had got some intelligence, knew what she was up to, and right, we're going to intercept her in customs and make her an offer she can't refuse. 
in the med lab, the doctor is studying the drug when Jadur awakens. She takes the vial from the doctor and demands to see Sinclair. Yeah, this was a little hammy. I don't know the way she was acting. Um, I generally liked her, but there were a couple little hammy bits. Next, we see Sinclair on his way to the med lab and Londo stops him. He asks, her, asks him about Deathwalker and Sinclair says that Londo should know better than to believe rumors. I liked how the door closed on his face. It's weird, like, the doors in Babylon 5 are, like, um, like very prescient in how they open and close. <laughs> like, they know when somebody's walking by the door and doesn't want to go out, and they don't open. And they know when somebody's walking towards the door and wants to go out. They're telepathic doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, I was going to say, that Londo was Corporation, you know, from... Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, oh. They've got real people personalities. Yeah. <laughs> and they and enjoy opening and closing for your pleasure. <laughs> Shutting doors and faces and yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. I, I, do you know if they was uh, the set was um, like they actually had to have people behind the set opening the doors or if they were, I mean, it looks kind of like it because they're a little jerky or if they were uh, electronic. Do you, does anybody know? I don't know. I wouldn't doubt if it were people actually opening it. Yeah, because sometimes yeah. it, like, sticks a little bit. <laughs> but pull harder. <laughs> pull smoother. Yeah. In Med Lab, Sinclair speaks with Deathwalker alone, and everybody left when he asked to speak to her alone. This, <laughs> um, she says the wind swords were right to fear him, and that the wind swords have sheltered her for many years in return for certain services. They speak of Sinclair often and say that he has a hold in his mind. It's like everybody knows that. Everybody knows. <laughs> old news. Why no... would they? I don't understand why they would know this. I don't get this. And also, kind of later, they say that the Wind Swords talked about his. I don't know what she. What was the word? Like just talked about how he was compassionate or something. Uh, that's a how would they flaw. know this? <laughs> I'm confused. There was a there was a bulletin that went out to all Mimbari. <laughs> all Mimbari, yeah. Newsletter. Alert! Alert! <laughs> she confirms that she is Deathwalker, and the answer to why she isn't much older is in her bio, which is the result of a lifetime of research. It's a serum which stops the aging process and its virtual immortality. She wants to bring it to all the worlds in the galaxy with the help of Earth. So that was interesting. Is this the first time they've mentioned that um, all these, all the races are from the same galaxy? Um, I'm not sure, but at least we've got a defined area of where this is set in this episode. If it's not said before, which is which is makes I guess sense if you consider the uh, rapidly expanding universe. <laughs> so, in terms of getting around, at least they could do it within the same galaxy, which is not se- it's separately expanding. So. Yeah, I think we're told uh, maybe in the pilot that the Babylon Five is like a crossroads, a neutral space, and uh, the the uh, star system that Babylon Five is in isn't that far from Earth. Okay, I think so, it's what thirty, um, it's like thirty light years away, maybe. I forget. I forget how many it is. So next, we're back to the nego- the negotiations. Talia looks bored, and Kosh and Abbott are saying a lot of stuff that doesn't make any sense to her. The talks end and they will commence tomorrow at the hour of longing. <laughs> <laughs> and which hour is that? I don't know. 
Natalia stops Kosh and says that Abbott's mind is still empty and all these phrases don't make any sense and he tells her to listen to the music and not the song. Abbott offers to buy her a drink and while talking to him she has a vision. At this point what were you thinking Kosh was up to? Because he's being really enigmatic here. Honestly I can never predict anything that Kosh is up to. (laughs) Yeah. I had no idea that he was doing this, be, you know, because of her. I, I thought it was just some weird discussion he was having. That <laughs> it was kind of like it was going on in subtext, but I didn't, you know, think of anything like that. You no. Know? Well, when I looked it up, the uh, star system is ten light years from Earth, okay. and they have discovered ah. a planet, a planet there. Okay. Ooh. So. It's the same system, I think. I was watching Spaced Above and Beyond, and I think it's the same system where that's taking place, where the outer space stuff is. Yeah, it's very popular because it's uh, one of the brightest stars in our sky, and uh, we we've we know it's clo- we've known it's close for a long time. So. Yeah, I, but it's again something Babylon Five tends to do a lot of incorporating real science into the show. Real science. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I, I was always confused by this, but apparently the Centauri are not from Alpha Centauri. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Can I ask a ser- semi-off-topic question? Sure. Um, I, I haven't listened to the last episode, but did you guys happen to talk about um, Michael O'Hare's age? Oh, he was 39, well, or his yeah. character was 39. Yeah. How, how old is he really? Does anybody know? I was scared to look it up. Oh, I don't know. Okay, that episode. he's not 39. <laughs> <laughs> it just, I was like, what? <laughs> oh. Yeah, which would have made him nine during the Dilgar War. Mm. Or thereabouts. Yeah. He was 41. He was 41? <laughs> I think so. He was born in 1952. <laughs> wow, he looks really? older than 41. Could be <laughs> a gray tint to his hair. I don't know. Especially in this episode, he looked older. Well, some know. people go gray when they're like twenty. So yeah, but it's not just that. It's like it's like he has this like like he's carrying this weight in his face or something. I don't know. Not like physical weight, but like a like a mental. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was just the way to you mean? He's an old yeah. soul. <laughs> he's an old soul. Wow, forty-one. I don't know. <laughs> All right, sorry. Just had to ask. Uh, Sinclair finds Lanier because Delaney is off station. He asks Lanier about the Windsors, who Lanier says is the most militant of their warrior cast, but they wouldn't harbor a beast like her. Lanier will contact Tulin to find out if what Deathwalker says is true. Did In the last episode, did Delin say she was leaving? I can't remember. I don't remember. Um, I don't think she did. Okay. Um, but it's good to get some character development here with Lanier, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got a passion for history and a long character work that yeah, he's got a passion for history when he's talking about it, he just won't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> was this the scene wait, this wasn't the scene in the Zocalo, right? This was the scene when they were walking walking down the hall or I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I have a question about that scene. Jam. Um I okay. I do enjoy though that that Delenn is gone and that in my head it's because of what happened last episode. I don't know what she's doing, but I think that that's why she had to suddenly go. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that could definitely pan out, yeah. Like, I better stay out of his sight for a while. <laughs> JMS said that the wind swords are the group that are responsible for what happened in the pilot, the... 
Oh, uh, I was said, wondering. All they said then was that it was a group that broke off from the warrior cast. Okay, so, and then he was talking about the whole in Sinclair's mind in that in that episode. So they're yeah, obsessed with yeah. that. Okay. Hmm. Next, we see Jakar speaking with Death Walker, and he offers reparations, and he wants to make her an offer for the serum. She says she'll consider it if Jakar would bring her the head of the animal that attacked her, Natoth, and Jakar leaves angry. Dr. Franklin has confirmed that Jadur is who she claims to be. Garibaldi doesn't like the idea of sending her back to Earth because of the atrocity she committed. He wants to let the League deal with her and you know they can finish the serum themselves, but it would take too long to finish her serum without her. Sinclair says his issue is too big for them and wants to ship her uh, and it, he wants an escort ship and he wants her ship and an escort ship ready in one hour and they're going to take her through Blue 5 to avoid attention. Garibaldi confronts Sinclair about just following his orders. Sinclair thinks it might be worth it because the good of her serum can do, but Garibaldi warns if the League ambassadors find out they will tear B5 to pieces. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Does anybody yeah. know? Oh, no, no, I was just going to ask if anybody knows if um, that's a real term, anti agapic? I don't know. I, don't I was going to look that up. But... Okay. Yeah, because I, uh, yeah. I've never heard it. Uh, Heidi, yeah. were you saying something? I uh, I thought this was interesting, like that that Sinclair was the one that was just ready to ship her off. Like so far, I think we've seen him just have such like high moral standards that for him to just be willing to take orders and send her to Earth, I I found that really interesting, and that Garibaldi had to be the one to point it out to him, kind of that you know this yeah. might not be a good idea. Seems he was under a lot of pressure to get this done. Mm-hmm. There's like the different moralities, right? There's like the pragmatic, take a whole view morality, um, which is that she has this anti-gapic ever that could help a lot of people. But then there's the uh, seeing the trees and not the forest morality, which is that her personally, she needs to pay for what she did. And it was interesting that Sinclair, I would, I would always think of him as the, the sort of the, the context, you know, the person that would do the immediate morality, which is to bring her to justice versus the pragmatic, you know, morality. Yeah, and what really, how would you really choose between justice and immortality? It's, as you said, pragmatic versus um, immediate um, morality. But it's it's still kind of quandary, really, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you? In the end, he does try and come up with a compromise, but that's another matter. Next, we see Jakar arrive back in his quarters. He found out that Sinclair plans to smuggle Jadur off the station. Natath offers to deal with her, but Jakar has a better way, and we see him contact Ambassador Kalika on an urgent matter. So, Jakar said he found out through one of his agents. Like, what does that mean? His agents? He has spies? Because it was a pretty small group of people that would know what was happening. So... Well, perhaps the guy from last week who owes um, money to some people isn't the only one in um, security, and um, someone owes something to Jakar. So, perhaps that's one of his agents. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and we know that... What's his face? McGrath? Negrath has yeah. uh, mm-hmm. somebody in security too, at least like one person, level five or whatever. So that was interesting. I don't know. Yeah. 
Next we see Jadur getting ready to leave. Sinclair is going to send her with an escort to the Vortex and then an Earth Force vessel is going to meet her on the other end. He wants to know why she wants to give her serum to Earth and she thinks that Earth should be the one to benefit from their conquest because Earth turned the tide during the invasion. Uh, Sinclair says it was just an act of preservation. And then she brings up um, the wind the wind swords said that he was sentimental, which is a fatal flaw in a warrior. She wants to give everyone immortality so people will remember her race differently. I mean that that I mean she did make a certain amount of sense there. Um, you know, so I to- I kind of bought what she was saying. I didn't really necessarily think about that she had other motives. I mean, I'm I didn't really think about it too much, but I mean, she kind of made sense there and she made sense later um for her you know for her kind of sense i guess <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it definitely made sense to me at this point what she was saying of course it turns out to really just be revenge but yeah well i suppose someone like her who you know was quite um oh what would be the right word um am you know kind of amoralistic and um, sadistic they're not yeah, statistic. And then her whole race dies. She's just get, that's just going to harden her and make her worse. You know? Yeah, and like uh, Ivanova says, I mean, people that do that, those kinds of things don't necessarily have remorse for it. So No. Next, we see that they are escorting her to her ship when they are intercepted by a group of ambassadors led by Ambassador Kalika. Kalika is played by Robin Curtis, who was Savik in Star Trek two and uh, three and four. Vulcan, I believe. Is she the same actress from a couple of weeks ago? She is. When we were first. No, I'm asking. Is she the same actress from a couple of weeks ago when we were introduced oh, to the species? Fish last lady. Time? No, this is a different person, I believe. Okay. I guess she so. was wearing similar clothes, and you know, obviously, she was also a fish lady, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was really hard to tell, though, and she kind of sounded the same. The ambassadors want a full assembly so that Jadur can stay in crimes for her atrocities. Sinclair reluctantly agrees, and Jadur says, fatal flaw indeed, before she's escorted back to her quarters. I have a logistical question, Um, and maybe you guys don't know this, but when they say stand trial... Are they talking about just like a trial in front of the council or are there actually interplanetary courts, court system with judges that would be on the Babylon 5? Does anybody know? Is that a spoiler? I don't know. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, they, you know, they equate it to um, the UN on Earth, don't they? So I don't know. How do the UN conduct trials? Yes, don't they? I mean, the uh, they do war crimes and stuff? Yes, but I'm not sure what the setup is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they have judges and stuff. Yeah, so maybe it's similar to that. I don't know. At this point, anyway, I don't know. Right, <laughs> okay, okay. Next, we're back with Talia and Kosh. Talia tells Kosh that she can't continue with her assignment, but Kosh reminders that she has a contract, and Abbott returns, and Talia has another vision. So, again, I'm asking questions that you probably can't even answer. But is she like a freelancer? I mean, she just does her own business, right? She can set up her her own report into and like answer to Babylon 5 in terms of what clients she takes on? Or 
it has to be logged with somebody. I, I was kind of confused by this. Like, if she came upon criminal activities, I mean, like, would she have to report to a certain person or something? I don't know. Which is kind of weird. So she, she has a contract with between her and Kosh, I guess is what it was. Right. With her agency. Well, yeah. Earlier on, it was actually, you know, in the first scene, they talked about um, contracts and payments, didn't they? Yeah, so, how she had generous. to get... Yeah. Yeah, she had to get clearance. And... Yeah, and it goes, it all goes through Babylon 5, though, right? Because she had to register when she got there, and then he had to register the contract or something. Yeah, I was kind of confused yeah. by the whole thing. But uh, It seems like she's a freelancer who work, you know, can get work, but yes, it's got to be logged because I suppose having a telepath in a business meeting would, would be a logistical nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'd have to be so many forms. Right, to make it legitimate in terms of her being able to scan him and stuff. She doesn't yeah, work for the right. station, though. She okay, just had, so she's she just on had her to own. check in. I mean, that was just uh, like a, a, a protocol or a regulation or something that she had to check yeah. in with, with the station. But she doesn't actually work for uh, um, the same people that you know, most of the other humans work for. She works, you know, she's, I, I don't know if she works for Psychor or if she's just a freelancer, but she's definitely, she doesn't work, you know, with the station uh, staff. Okay. Yeah, she's, had, she's had lots of different contracts that are um, in the show so far with Catherine, uh, Catherine Sakai. Yeah. And then yeah. there was another, there was another one earlier that she had. So. Right. And then Sin- well, Sinclair pulls her in sometimes to help out with ambassadorial. Yeah. Whatever. I um, think it's kind of, she's still part of Earth Alliance, so, you know, the Earth Alliance military can kind of call on her services, but, they, you know, she'd probably still have to be reimbursed somehow. Yeah, maybe she has, like, a standing contract with station when? staff oh, or something. Sorry, Elizabeth? Right, yeah. Sorry, I it broke broke up. I couldn't hear Jason All right. uh, until the end. But um, I, I would just think with a station that big that, would, that there would be more than one telepath, you know. But um, I guess not. Well, um, it, it was stated in uh, Mind War how rare telepaths are. So, you know, even though there's a lot of them, they're still rare, you know, and still, uh, you know. You know, this is a, an outpost, um, uh, you know, even though it's an important outpost, it's still an outpost. And, you know, maybe... They can only afford to send one telepath there. Yeah, and and there's the how many telepaths there are, but then there's also the ones who are like willing to work for Psychor versus the ones who like go crazy or refuse and all yeah, those mate, numbers too. You know, have to you know have to take the sleepers or go into prison. The ones who become you know all that. Yeah, if if few of them you know get telekinesis, go mad, you know so. Telepaths are a rare commodity. Next, we're in the council. Sinclair thinks the vote will go against Jardur. Orlando sees him and makes a joke about how Sinclair avoided him earlier. Lanier arrives and he's been given instructions from Delin. So the meeting yeah. comes to order. Uh, I was going to say, you kind of immediately knew as soon as he said something that it wasn't going to go the way Sinclair predicted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Got no time to chat. If I chat, you know something's wrong. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. We hear the different arguments. The League votes yes. Londo votes no. Jakar votes yes, but then he changes his vote to no. Kosh, of course, didn't take part. Earth votes yes. 
and Lanier has the deciding vote and he votes no, which surprises Sinclair. The League gets upset and withdraws from the assembly. Oh, hold on. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Uh, I have two things. Um, one is earlier. Um, I don't I don't know if it was when Sinclair was talking to Garibaldi and predicting what Lanier would vote, where he says that the Membari are honorable. So he still thinks they're honorable, even after what happened last episode, which was like, okay. And then the second thing is... I. I was very confused about what exactly happened between the Narn and the Deathwalker because Sinclair was saying that they would vote no because they didn't want whatever they had done in the past to come up. Was it that the Deathwalker had helped the Centauri against the Narn? I'm not sure. I think potentially they did that. Uh but it also sounds like um, the Narn sold uh, Delgar weaponry because um, that's what they've been known for in the past for doing, for working with other races to sell them arms. So they sold them weaponry and then they used um, that against uh, the non-aligned worlds? I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know 100% sure, but that's the impression I get from the dialogue. Okay. Because um, the... Um, Non-aligned worlds in this um, say, you know, talk about the involvement uh, the Narns had with the Dilgar, and that's the impression I get that they sold them weapons. Mm-hmm. And Natoth's family was um, killed during the Centauri occupation because of the Dilgar's involvement, or is that separate? I think. I think it wasn't um, uh, part of the Centauri occupation. I think um, her family were present on a planet that um, the Dilgar invaded. And, oh, okay. You know, yeah, they yeah, got yeah. caught up in the conflict. And okay. Jadot being as sadistic as he is, um, perhaps her family fought on the wrong side. And so Jadot didn't care that um, the Narns helped the Dilgar out previously, you know, this family's working against her, so she, you know, punished them. Okay. That's, okay. I mean, something else might have happened, but this is kind of what I tend to do in my head anyway. I hear a bit of dialogue and then try and take on board what's gone before, what people have said before about the Narn and other cultures and stuff like that, and try and, well, if they're saying this and we know this other fact about the Narn, well, this is probably what happened. But that's my... You see, it's my own guess. Yeah. I guess I just like to know people's motives, and uh, I wasn't quite clear yeah. on this one. Yeah, there's not, it's not 100% clear, but, you know... That's, that's okay. what my All point right. of view is, anyway. So the League gets upset and withdraws from the Assembly. Uh, Lanier and Sinclair are left. He apolog- Lanier apologizes for helping her escape justice... And this is where he admits that the government knew about the Windsors sheltering Jadur, but not at first. During the war, the Windsors came to them with monstrous weapons, and that's how they found out that she was with them. But you know, after when they found out, they couldn't admit it at that point. Interesting how he doesn't say whether they used the weapons or not. Yeah, I well. wonder if that's why they couldn't admit it. Yeah. Um, but it was a good bit of acting from Bill when we here, I think. You know, you saw the inner conflict... You know, and yeah. um, yeah, sorry, Elizabeth. Oh, no, it's fine. Uh, no, until Heidi mentioned that earlier in this episode, 
about the technology. I just uh, completely just thought that Lanier was saying that um, the Mambari didn't use the weapons, but you're right. He doesn't really say they did or they didn't. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, another thing about this scene, I like the um, audio mix in the background, the um, background sounds of the um, League of Non-Aligned Worlds. You occasionally make out a word here and there, and I think it was nicely done. Nice bit of audio mixing. Yeah. Uh, next in the CNC, uh, Elizabeth, last week we named, we gave the nameless technician a name. We called her Clara. Okay. So, <laughs> we yeah. gave her a name. Yeah. So <laughs> Clara, Clara, all right. <laughs> Clara announces that something is coming through the jump gate and they see a Drazi Sunhawk and they demand the immediate extradition of Jadur. Does everyone ever have a good day? <laughs> so far, um, <laughs> You know, it, it doesn't seem so, does it? Yeah, no. The, the back of this ship reminded me of a Firefly class ship. The way it lit up. Yeah, I can mm, see that. It does, doesn't it? The Drazi captain, Ashok, is Mark Hendrickson, who was the Grey Council dude in the last episode, and he was also Durag in the Parliament of Dreams. Oh, okay. He's recycling. <laughs> He's good at wearing costumes. Yeah doesn't mind being in the makeup chair for hours on end. So did the other technician get a name or just Clara? Uh, just Clara. If, okay. if this guy comes back, we'll give him a name. <laughs> oh, is this his first time? I, I, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. Clara had been around so much that we were yeah. like, well, you know. Yeah. She That's true. How did Since she get the name? Just random or did she remind somebody of a Clara? Or uh, Just random, yeah, really. Just random. Okay. I was probably okay. thinking about um, Clara from Doctor Who. No, <laughs> Yeah, I think um, she's called. I think she's called Tech Two in the like official documents and in, in fandom. But well, that's, that's kind of obviously her second name, Clara Tech Two. Oh, that's her last <laughs> name. Okay. Well, I'm gonna write that down. Tech yeah, Two. Clara Tech Two. <laughs> so we see the ship's weapons are ready, and B Five aims their weapons at the ship. This is the first time we've seen B 5s weapons. Can't remember. Well, when the Soul Hunter was coming, you mean like physically seeing them on screen? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. So the- I was kind of hoping... I I liked this, like, I liked the standoff, but I really didn't feel any tension in it because, you know, you know, nothing's going to happen. Um, but, I mean, I liked the whole idea of it. The Drazi vessel slows down, and you see more ships come to the jump gate and more are on the way. Sinclair orders Ivanova to stall them. <laughs> She's all, like, juggling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, how can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Next, Sinclair is trying to convince Kalika to stall the ships. He says there's something she should know before if they break off ties with B5. She threatened to break off ties with the station. I, 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 I agree with her. Like, <laughs> all those different non-aligned worlds, they have, like, no say in voting, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's there's just way more of them on the board. Bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are. Like, there's, I mean, quite a few different. I mean, I, I'm assuming that each one represents one of the worlds. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad that Fish Lady has a name now. <laughs> In I still si- like Fish Lady though. It's <laughs> <laughs> easier to remember. That's true. In C and C, Ivanova has managed to get the captains of the ship in an argument. And we see them move out of firing range because Sinclair has played a wild card in. He's going to be in close session with the League. Sinclair congratulates Ivanova and you can see she looks kind of proud of herself. (laughs) 
it's a good plan though, yeah. Trying to um, get them to see who's got the right to fire first, basically. Yeah. Next, Abbott and Kosh are still in negotiation still negotiating and we see Talia looks like she's about to fall asleep, but she has another vision and there's I go of a music video. <laughs> yeah. 1990s music video, yeah. A man with a bottle is walking towards her and then he attacks her and in real life she screams and then Kosh says that their business is concluded. <laughs> Until the end, when she like told them that this was an experience that she had had, I thought that somehow this, I don't know, this thought or experience was being put into her head. Like, mm-hmm. um, like I wasn't sure if it was someone else's, or, but I never considered that it was actually something that had happened to her. I agree. And why if it's something that happened to her, like, she, when she was why is she wearing all like the sexy, like lacy top? <laughs> very... <laughs> well, uh, I'm not sure. I think it's a memory of a scan almost. She, at the end, she talks about scanning a murderer. Perhaps, you know, she scanned a murderer and in the memory, she was in place of his victim. So, you know, whatever her, his oh. victim wore, since she was wearing, she wore what that, what that she was wearing and then, yeah. yeah. You know, we just didn't see the point in which uh, the murderer, you know, gla- you know, put the glass in her face or whatever. However, the it went down. You know, would have been a bit violent to see that. Mm-hmm. Abbott takes off his hat. You can see his brain in some kind of mechanical device on his head. He removes a data crystal and hands it to Kosh. Talia wants to know what's on the crystal, and Kosh says, "Reflection, surprise, terror for the future," and leaves. Of course, Talia's like, "What is that?" <laughs> yeah, and the audience is asking the same thing. Right. In the council, the league scientists have verified Jardir's discovery, but they still want her to stand trial. Sinclair agrees, but he has a compromise. He says that the league can choose scientists to help Earth finish the serum, and when it's finished, Earth will hand Jardir over for trial. Everyone agrees, and. All the vessels that were outside B5 leave. Tied up pretty quickly. Yeah. Sinclair tells Chardir that he's glad Nata thinks to see because he's looking forward to her trial. She doesn't think Earth is really going to turn up when the time comes. She explains that the key ingredient in her serum must be taken from living beings. And she thinks everybody's going to turn on each other like wolves. And they'll make what the Dilgar did 30 years ago seem like nothing. She says you that they will become like the Dilgar. Yeah, that was, and, a, good, that was a good scene. And Sorry. she's probably yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Quite a statistic plan. Yeah. Next, the Minbari ship is leaving. A group of ambassadors has assembled to watch her leave, and Kosh arrives. And then a Vorlon ship comes from the jump gate, and Garibaldi tells us it's a Vorlon ship, just in case we've forgotten what they look like. <laughs> it's been a while. Just the no, yeah, thank you. The, <laughs> yeah. the Vorline ship destroys Jardua's ship. Uh, Sinclair wants to know why, and Kosh answers, you are not ready for immortality. So are awesome. we to believe that the Vorlons have immortality? I don't know. I don't That's know. That's what I got with that. The Vorlons clearly uh, decide what's best for the other races here. Yeah, mm-hmm. how dare they? Like, Who are they? Well, he's kind of right, though. <laughs> he is right, but... 
but he abstains from the vote and then oh, yeah. just completely takes over. Yeah. yeah. How many people were on that ship? I wonder. Well, it's the player, so oh. potentially just Zador. Um, okay. But, you know, it could be other, you know, could, there could have been a pilot aboard or, you know, maybe one other, maybe two, but clearly that doesn't matter to the Vorlons. JMS was talking a little bit about why uh, we would put up with that, why Sinclair would put up with Kosh. And he said, when it says something, uh, Sinclair was taught by Jesuits. As far as Kosh goes, better to have him where you can see him than not. They are a powerful group, and it wouldn't serve to ignore them. Uh, we courted them for 10 years for a first contact, and now we're stuck with them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, plus, I mean, what in terms of Sinclair putting up with it, I mean, I would think that he would be actually okay with that outcome. Um, yeah, especially after that last conversation with her. Right, exactly. Yeah. In the Zocalo, Garibaldi and Sinclair. Um, Sinclair wonders if it will always be the way it is now with the big powers controlling little powers. Talia enters. She says she might be having a problem with Kosh, and she summarizes what happened earlier and explains that four years ago she scanned a murder suspect who was a serial killer and she had never been inside a mine like that before and it was the most frightening experience she had ever had and she still has nightmares about it and today it wasn't a nightmare it was deliberately provoked so they work out everything how Abbott is a vicar basically a living recorder so they think she's set up because Vorlons are Lyria telepaths and he might have been getting information he could use against her in the future and they Garibaldi, after she leaves, Garibaldi and Sinclair continue to speak about Kosh and have the end credits. Yeah, this might be the Zyklo scene you were on about earlier, Elizabeth. Um, it's not, but um, I'm surprised that, was it Garibaldi that knew about Vickers, but the Psy person didn't? Because you would think that they, if there's something out there that could record a Psy's thoughts, that um, they would know about it, but... Um, well, she's just a commercial telepath and um, perhaps she's not privy to that information maybe but someone Garibaldi like this yeah but Garibaldi is the type of person that looks into these sorts of things isn't he that uh, mm-hmm. um you know at least like uh, Bonneva said last week um she you know sometimes she's afraid of the way Garibaldi has to think and you know I suppose he finds out about these things during his investigations mm-hmm um, Will, you know how you have a problem with Talia's lips? Yes. Okay. Is it the way she talks? Like how her lips move when she speaks? Or yes. Is it else? Okay, yes. yes. I, I get it now. I get it now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was a close-up at the end with the red lipstick, and I, I was like, wow, that is weird. <laughs> so annoying. Like, get off the screen or shut up at least. <laughs> okay, um... Uh, the author that um, is consulting on this show, what is his name? Harlan Ellison. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because when they were in the Zocalo earlier, there was an announcement about a book universe signing, and I swear I heard the name by author and then Harlan. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be thought... surprised if that was. Just yeah, I wouldn't be surprised myself. Yeah, they love to put little things like that in it. Okay. So, Elizabeth, earlier you were asking about if uh, the Dilgar invasion was while the Narns were uh, under Centauri control. Is that what your question was? Earlier when uh, you were asking about that. Oh, I was trying to figure out what uh, the different um, relationships between them were. Like, did the um, 
did the Dilgar help out the Centauri when they were in, invading the Narn? Yeah, working at trying to work out the timeline, basically. Yeah, yeah no, that I, was like a hundred years ago or something, or thirty thirty years ago was the um, Dilgar the Aligned Worlds. Was the okay. yeah was was when Earth like won the war against them, um, but it it looks like the Narn were still uh, under Centauri control during that time. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Um, and the Dilgar definitely invaded a Narn, like took over a Narn colony. Which okay. is the one that Natoth's family was on? Right. About ah, it looks so like, my speculation, yeah, my speculation was wrong then. Ah. And then it looks like both of... I just found a timeline. It looks like both these uh, things are actually from the episode, probably printed somewhere or something. You know, sometimes they like to just oh, have little pads of information. There was a, yeah, there was a screen that they were looking at that had some information and some years on it. We had like, a picture, and then it had like a... a some information about yeah, the- yeah, basically futuristic Wikipedia article. Right. Okay. Cool. Good to know. Well, here's uh yeah, we got a little more back history on Earth and or future history, I guess, depending on how you look at it. On Earth in this episode, JMS said that the Dilgar War was one of the first conflicts that the Earth Alliance got into soon after they entered space, and that we mainly got into it to try to make a reputation for ourselves, but then got morally involved. When we saw what was going on, and this conflict and the Minbari War are the only real major conflicts that Earth has been involved in. He said that Earth was not a direct at a direct risk during the Dilgar War, but if they hadn't been stopped, that may have changed. And that's kind of what somebody said during the episode, right? It was uh, also they said it was because they were being aggressive, but also it was in their best interest in case they kept going. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think you're supposed to get uh, a, a taste or an uh, implication of World War II mm-hmm. with you know concentration camps and uh, an enemy that's not directly on our doorstep, but which might become a problem later. But then in World War II, we didn't get directly involved until we were attacked. But um, right. I mean, we mean uh, America. Sorry. <laughs> he also, I think, I think he was talking about Jadur, maybe, but he said that. The women I write are very close to many of the women I've been involved with over the years. So far, no one sued. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, probably just taking influence from his own life. Yeah. And, um, so, Jason, why did you select this episode? I think because um, it was. I think because it, it was in the middle of the season, maybe. Oh, you, so it wasn't like a specific, uh, you know, something about this episode that. I, I like I, I kind of like it. I like the you know Kosh. I like Kosh being weird throughout the whole episode. Um, I I love him just blowing up the ship at the end. But, <laughs> uh, other than that, no, it's uh, yeah, like I just, a boss. I just I just I, just, uh, I think it was really no no one had taken it, and I kind of I, I wanted to do one in the middle of the season because I think I have like the beginning and the end. So okay, yeah. I, well, I really like this episode. So oh yeah, Robert DeCilio, the writer's brother. He wasn't alien number one. He was ambassador number one. Sorry. Oh, now I know. Who <laughs> <laughs> that makes so much more sense. Yeah. Okay. There's another guy in this episode named Bill Blair. He's credited as Alien. He was also in Soul Hunter. He's going to be in 67 more episodes, all uncredited. <laughs> wow. But he, he has the Guinness World Record for most special effect makeup characters portrayed in a career. So he's oh. at 
202 right now. I expect you to point out every single one of those. I probably won't know who he is. <laughs> but he has, he has uncredited roles in a lot of other shows, too. Non-sci-fi shows. Poor guy. He has a world record and isn't even credited. <laughs> so, how about we move to quotes of the week? Jason? Let me bring up my quote thing. Um, oh, it's uh, Kosh. Understanding is a three-edged sword. I stole one of mine. Ah, stole <laughs> the only one of mine. <laughs> really? He says like eight other things in this episode. All of them great. Yep, he does. But that's the main one. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my only one, but I went back and found another one. just. So I, I, I just couldn't find yeah. any more myself. My other one was Garibaldi. Ambassador Kosh has been a busy boy. Sinclair, they say God works in mysterious ways. Garibaldi. Maybe so, but he's a con man compared to the Vorlon. Yeah, I like that one, too. Um, okay, I'll go with my non-Kosh quote. Um, Sinclair. Sorry, Ambassador, we thought it best to handle this quietly. Londo. Ah, great job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have one. Um, welcome to Babylon 5. I am Lieutenant Commander Ivanova. How may I be of assistance? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Any others? Really? No. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Heidi. Okay, I have my other Kosh quote. A stroke of the brush does not guarantee art from the bristles. Too true, Kosh. Yeah, that actually made sense. <laughs> <laughs> I know, isn't it weird? <laughs> um, Natah, I will take it from her when I eat her flesh. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how about we move to our characters of the week? Who's our human of the week? I'm torn between Sinclair and Ivanova on this one. Mm. Yeah, well, I went with Sinclair just because he's more involved. But... You have to really go for Sinclair this time, but I really want to go for Ivanova because... I know, she was so great. <laughs> she stole the show, really, and just had one major scene. Well, okay, she was in more than one scene, but she had one little scene that she just... That was, that was just brilliant. Was Sinclair the human of the week last week? Yeah, he, yeah, he was. Begrudgingly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too on that one. Yeah. So Sinclair. Yeah. Yeah, Sinclair. I mean, he's had better episodes so far, but he does a lot in this episode. And I don't think we can really give it to Ivanova just for like that one scene that she was amazing in. <laughs> mm, I vote Ivanova. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it to Sinclair last week. I'm not giving it to him too. <laughs> okay, I want to call it for Sinclair. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> so how about Sinclair Alien of the Week? Kosh. Yeah. Kosh. I was. I wrote down Kosh, but part of me wanted to give it to Lanier, but mm-hmm. I actually went with Ambassador Calica, but uh, oh, I gave it to Jazador. <laughs> not to be confused with Jazador. She was very hilariously evil. <laughs> uh, I think Kosh wins. He has yeah, a one one. You're at the hours country. <laughs> you know, when I first heard that, my my vision of uh, Vorlons was set in stone. That they're that's full of spiders. That the oh. suit is full of spiders. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's all the like the extra voices layered in. A bunch of spiders talking at the same time. <laughs> I don't like this idea. <laughs> Have nightmares now. Oh gosh! About Kosh <laughs> bursting into a bunch of spiders. Ooh. 
Yep. Right, just the words. Longing, you, the out-logging, I kind of picture a Vaughan staring longing me at a sunset. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics, because as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have I'm now grown. moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. Akin's Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. Uh, how about episode ratings? Jason, you want to start us off? Yes. Uh, I like this episode. I think I've said all the reasons I like this episode. So I give it 8 out of 10 suits filled with spiders. <laughs> nice. How about you, Heidi? Um, I really liked this episode. Um, I enjoyed all of the crazy Kosh talk because... I never know what he's saying, but he was saying a lot this episode. So, um, and I love at the end when the Borlons come in and just take the decision out of everybody's hands. Um, and I also enjoyed the the conflict. You know, like what do we do with this person who has uh, who has uh, done crimes against you know like these people and they want justice and. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed all of that political stuff. And so I'm going to go 8.5 out of 10 Jovian sunspots. Awesome. Mm, nice. well, uh, I guess the Vorlons have, you know, the veto vote. They can just overrule everybody. If they abstain, <laughs> they just take their vote later. Yeah. How about you, Elizabeth? Um, yeah, this is actually my favorite episode so far. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I, well, first of all, it had a lot of characters in it, which I always like. Um, not only Kosh, but it also had Natoth and Lanier. Um, the only one we didn't see was, um, Delenn, I think. Um, Veer. Oh, yeah, Veer. Yeah, that's true. That's all right. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I like Veer. Uh, and I really like the Natoth Jakar interplay. And I just like when they are dealing with political things, um, when they're dealing with, um, you know, worlds at, at odds, but in like a very, political way um and not just about um not disliking each other uh disliking each other because of their race or something like that um and i liked the idea that it presented of this conflict between you know uh, this moral conflict um so uh, what did i give soul hunter was it did i give soul hunter an eight uh soul hunter was a uh, 7.5 oh okay Really? Okay. I thought I'd give it higher. But, um, so I'm gonna give this one, um, 8.5 out of 10 crimes against non sentient pets. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Ian? Yeah, well, for me, there's certain elements in this that are too generic sci fi, um, you know, and that kind of brings things down in Babylon 5 terms because. Yeah, they can take a generic sci-fi idea and twist it on its head a lot of times, but this one, it just felt like an episode that could have um, been in any other sci-fi series, really. And um, you had some great moments with Kosh, which set that apart, which, you know, made it a Babylon 5 episode. And um, Ivanova, as always, is brilliant. So it's not 
awful. And yeah, it's not, you know, the pinnacle of what B5 can be. So for me, it's got to be 6.5 strong cars out of 10. Okay. Well, for me, you know, I liked the episode. It was, it was a nice little morality tale, but felt like I had seen it many times before. I did like all the Kosh stuff and the Jakar and the Toss stuff, but anything with Talia is going to bring it down a little bit, especially if she's, if she's the focus of an episode or one of the focuses <laughs> of an episode. If she talks too much. Yeah, if she talks too much. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give it a 7.5 out of 10 immortality potions. So our combined scores of 7.8, that ties it with our highest, which is the Parliament of Dreams. Yeah. Speaking of which, before we move on, um, Elizabeth, what are your thoughts on the Parliament of Dreams? I uh, give it a score. And the Sky Full of Stars, you mean? Oh, yeah, the Sky Full of Stars. That's what I meant. Um, oh, yes. Uh, I liked it. Um, it was a little sinclair for me, but um, <laughs> I, I did like it. Um, I can't remember the rating I gave it. Uh, did I say 7.5? Yeah, 7.5. Yes, <laughs> 7.5 regional productions of Jeffrey and the amazing monochromatic gray councils or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> because of all, all the, the nine spotlights, which I thought was ridiculous. <laughs> like, if this was supposed to be literal of <laughs> what happened to him. But, um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I totally recognized the guy from Briscoe. So that was funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm glad we got a little bit more information, but not really <laughs> about what happened to him. Uh, and I'm glad he's finally confronted Deland about it. So yeah, I'm glad they're addressing it. I liked it. Good. Awesome. How about we move to our feedback section? We got email from Yan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Read that. Yes. I will read it now. Okay. This is a feedback from Yan. Hello, fellow lurkers and down below. Here's a bit of feedback for Deathwalker. Did you miss aliens before? This time we got a load of them and lots of kosh. Natoth has some anger management issues. And a Sean Carr, the Blood Oath, and Deathwalker! Deathwalker! More history. The Dilgar War 30 years ago was vicious and Earth instrumental in winning. Non-aligned worlds on the brink of collapse. No wonder they supported B5. That's a good point. Um, the main plot with Deathwalker and the Immortality Serum is not particularly new, but I find that it is well executed. Will Sinclair get into trouble by being so creative with the solutions, the compromise? And then we got two neat twists at the end. One, the chilling statement from Jador when she explains her plan. Not like us, you will become us. And number two, Kosh, you are not ready for immortality, which is probably true, but what a way to make a statement. And yes, an intriguing choice, justice or immortality. Ivanova is sharp. What is this about Mimbari, the Windswords clan, harboring Jadur, the most militant of the Mimbari clans? More Mimbari secrets. The Kosh, uh, Kosh sides with Will's favorite, Talia Winters. <laughs> yeah. Winky face. We get a lot of Koshisms here. Understanding is a three-edged sword. The hour of scampering, whatever that means. The hour of longing. Ah, you seek meaning. Talia, yes. Then listen to the music, not the song. Reflection, surprise, terror for the future. Finally, we get something comprehensible from Kosh. You are not ready for immortality. <laughs> Favorite, human, Ivanova, for the scene with the warships arriving. 
Alien, Kosh, and Strong Competition with Jadur. Quote, Understanding is a three-edged sword. Rating, 7 out of 10, Reflections, Surprise, Terrors. Watch out for all the signs and portents. Jan, uh, Jan the Babylon Lurker. Thanks, Yan. Thank you, Yan. Well, that's all we got this week, folks. Oh. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh. It, yeah, we've got predictions, and you've got to tell oh, them no, next I week's meant, episode. Sorry, I meant that's all the feedback we got this week. Oh, I thought you were going to end the show prematurely. <laughs> like, I'm finished with this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if you have any feedback in email or audio format, send it to mail at downbelowpodcast.com. And if you like what you hear... Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Yes, please uh, send in feedback when you can. The next episode is called Believers, and our guest host is Jesse. Any predictions about Believers? Believers. Believers or Believers? <laughs> <laughs> it's a horror episode. <laughs> wow. Um... We found out that Justin Bieber is under the in the Kosh outfit. Oh, <laughs> worse than the spiders. <laughs> it's multiple Justin Bieber's under there. Oh, um, maybe we're gonna see some more religious um, stuff going on. Maybe we'll, um, I don't know, get some more that way. Um, trying to think who I'd like to predict uh, that the episode is centered on with that title. Um, maybe back to Delenn since, uh, she was gone this episode. That's kind of what I was thinking, but we, then we, then again, we just had that episode last week. I don't know. No. Yeah. That's the only thing I could think is it must have to do with the Grey Council or the, uh, Lanier and his initiate thing or... Or it could just be completely different. And right, be like it could this just religious be somebody, sect. Exactly. Somebody who shows up because, you know, that happens too. Yeah, because they do like talking about religion, it seems like, uh, you know, talking about it here and there. So, yeah, maybe there's a, some kind of religious sect that um, is getting into trouble. <laughs> I know. As they sometimes it's, tend to do. It's a cult that follows praying mantises. And it's about Nagra. <laughs> Sorry, no, I've been having to mute myself because I can't stop thinking about believers and please come on. Just followers, you know. Two hundred years later it's become a cult now. Just a bunch of tweens. <laughs> yeah, that's that would be amazing. That's but scary. unfortunately that's not gonna be about that, darn it. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's all I have on that uh-huh. one. Me too. All right. General, do you think, <laughs> uh, I don't know, my, I guess my general prediction would be that the Vorlons have some kind of immortality because it just seemed that just, I don't know, Kosh, the way you said that kind of seemed that way. Oh, but you know, the other thing is that, again, um, Sinclair, when he was talking to Lanier, he said, oh, you're going to talk to your leaders. And... Uh, Lanier said something about the council. Was he talking about the Grey Council, or is there another council that they mentioned? Because uh, the Grey Council is like the head of, I mean, the leaders of the Membari, but I thought it was like a secret kind of thing. But yeah. it's just like, yeah, the council. All right. I um, mean, they can't talk to them. Um, he has to go through Delenn. Uh, well, know. he never mentioned the Grey Council. He only mentioned the council. 
So, you know, he might have been talking about the Grey Council, but he managed to avoid saying the Grey Council in front of a non-membari. So, you know, that could mean any council. Or he could have been talking about the, something else. But, you know, yeah. Seems Did you guys talk about... Sorry. Did you guys talk about the fact that there were nine Grey Council members last episode? We touched yeah. on it, but uh, we, we knew you'd probably want to go into it a bit. We didn't really talk about any significance of that, just that it took an awful long time to see each of them appear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, because uh, when uh, during the Parliament of Dreams, uh, during that um, Mumbari resurrection or whatever ceremony, didn't she say, and the nine said yes, or something like oh, that? Oh, yeah. And the nine said no, or something yeah. like that. And then yeah. the one who follows. The, so, nine. Oh. Nice catch. Thank you, thank you. Um, I wasn't sure if we had already f- heard that the Great Council had nine, or if that was um, something that we just found out last episode. But, um, yeah, they're pretty dramatic, and there's nine of them. And Delenn is one of them. Or, or they're just nine people were there. Um, they have a yeah. zappy stick. <laughs> I'm beginning to doubt my um, my prediction that they're married, though. <laughs> no, no, no. You hold fast to that. I held fast to it last episode. Now. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was yeah. just a lovers' quarrel last episode. And every time I said something about them, Ian was like, "Yeah, because they're married, right?" Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I kind of took your place in that, Elizabeth. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. All right, all right. Someone has I, to, you know. Yeah, we're someone sticking has with to carry that. the candle. Yeah. Okay. I want it to be true, so <laughs> <laughs> I want to stick with it. Uh, I think that I, I, I gotta hope that Natoth and Lanier are gonna show up more often, um, in the future, hopefully. Yeah, I really enjoy Lanier. Yeah, I, I do. I enjoyed them both. Um, so and hopefully Delenn will be back next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as know. overall predictions, I think I made most of mine like as we were going. Yeah, which uh, is fine. So it's there's pretty yeah. It's it's a good way that they basically dealt with the question of will immortality uh, be available? No, <laughs> we don't want to have to deal with that as well. <laughs> so that's out. Um, but we haven't. It's been a couple episodes since we talked about the anti. Uh, what is it? The uh, home front. Home guard, yeah. Home guard. A home front or the home guard. Though there was a... Did you guys... That newspaper... Um, yes. Oh, yeah. We talked about that a bit. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was a little bit there. Um, so, yeah. No no big predictions overall, I don't think, that I can remember. Um, hopefully, the fish lady will have a more of a productive role in the coming episodes. And hopefully, I'll be able to remember her name. I think of it like a uh, calico, like calico cat, but with the A instead of an O. <laughs> That's how I'm remembering it. What about Clara? Oh, Clara, of course, because clearly, because she's always known as Tech Two, that <laughs> Tech Two, <laughs> that she's a uh, hugely prominent in future episodes. But uh, she will continue to get all of the best lines of the techs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. She's the one recurring tech. And they'll always film her from the same angle. <laughs> she actually filmed every scene that she's ever shot in one day and then <laughs> space them out and use them in different episodes. Yeah, that would be very efficient. Yeah. Um, I guess that's it. I am looking I mean I think it's I definitely see that it's it's picking up, you know. It's mm-hmm. 
We're seeing more signs and portents and <laughs> I guess I don't know what the signs and portents are for, but uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I I do want to know what like what Kasha's goal was in getting this um this fear out of Talia. You know, I mean, like why? I I have no I have no like theory behind it. I I can't even imagine like why he need this information on her but i guess it was wasn't didn't they just say because they he doesn't trust telepaths and so you know he wants to have something to use against her yeah but i bet it goes way deeper than that yeah maybe well he clearly doesn't want i mean anybody seeing anything into him you know um i don't know if there's going to be it's going to come up again like if he knows what happened with um Kara, what was her name the other telepath Lita? Lita, thank you. Yeah, with Lita. Uh, so maybe he knows, you know, that Lita went into his mind or whatever. Well, and couldn't she, like, not see through the suit? Like, didn't they have to open up the suit in order for her to get into his mind? So yeah. doesn't the suit kind of lock the telepaths anyway? And Talia isn't that good of one. I mean, well, she is now, I guess, since she all got the um, ability to move things. But, um... Mm-hmm. But, I mean, she was only, like, a level five, as far as he knows. Right. Yeah, that's true. But then again, how did he get poisoned through the suit? I don't know. That, <laughs> that's probably that never going to be brought up. <laughs> yeah. Kosh is a mystery. Yes, he is. He's a mystery wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a question. <laughs> Basically. Yes. Who talks in riddles. Wrapped in a Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, so that's, yeah, okay. So, Jason, thanks for joining us again. Yes, thank you, Jason. It's good to have you aboard again. Yeah, you're going to be having me. You're going to be back, aren't you? I can't remember, but we'll just won't say. We know we're going to be back later on in the season. Is there anywhere we can find you on the web? Just on Facebook and um, on a, my guest on a bunch of different podcasts. I don't know if I have any. I have. I don't think I have many coming up in uh, April. So, I have a bunch in June. Uh, cool. Nice. Busy summer. Well, yeah, what was the last one you guessed it on apart from ours? I did, was it three this week? I did the Dexter cast and, oh, uh, the Battlestar Galactica uh, Redemption, or, no. Resurrection. Uh, Resurrection cast. Resurrection cast. Nice. I finally got on that one, so. Oh, cool. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone, and until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group slash downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com slash downbelowcast.